stay up to date on the groundbreaking tests and solutions powering the healthcare system. You're listening to Diagnostic Dialogues from Quest Diagnostics. Here's your host, Dr. Pat Alicia. Welcome to Diagnostic Dialogues. This is a podcast that gives us an opportunity to speak with and learn from some of the best minds in healthcare. This is a place where we as the audience get to listen to these experts share their insights about their ways to deliver healthcare and create sustainable healthcare organizations in a complex, rapidly evolving healthcare environment. Hello, I'm your host, Dr. Pat Alagia, and today I have the privilege of being joined by Michael Lucas, the VP and General Manager of Health Systems and Physician Lab Services at Quest Diagnostics. Before coming to Quest, Mike worked as a senior finance executive in the automobile industry And over the past 10 years, he has led the health system and PLS work at Quest Diagnostics. We are so fortunate to have a sharp financial mind like his working with us in healthcare. Under his leadership, his team has grown considerably, as have their contributions to health systems and academic medical centers. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get started. Michael, could you give us an overview of the work you and your team do and how this works contributes to the viability and the sustainability of organizations with whom you work? Great question. First off, I think we've been at this about, you know, nine, eight or nine years now as a, as an organization. Back when our former CEO, Steve Ruskowski was new, he thought, as did the leadership of Quest Diagnostics, that there was an opportunity to look at what we do as a laboratory company and our scale, our size, our capabilities, and look at more deeper partnerships with health systems that might deliver some of that capability to them and create that win-win environment for them. So that was the kernel of launching this business back in 2014. I think I told you this in the past. I was employee one. We've built up a 50-plus person team now that executes against these. But each one is a little different depending on where we are in the country and and what most importantly, what the health system is interested in. But we serve up a number of choice points that could drive value for their organization, might improve quality or service for their patients. But we look at that and identify solutions that they really, they're in control. They can pick what choice points within the solution that we've come up with that they want to implement and deploy. And depending on what that is, we could execute that in, in different models that make sense for them. And when I say models, I really mean manage, management structures, management models. What are some of the choice points that you're talking about? Yeah, you know, if you just stay on the cost side for a second, when you look at health systems, they spend about $47 billion um, collectively in the laboratory industry. If I, if I looked at that, about 50% of, of it is in labor and labor-related. Uh, 35% of it is in the area of supply chain. And the balance is some portion of that would be reference testing, send-out testing, if you will. And then the other portions could be blood, professional component, and, and you know the lab system and other things. When we look at that spend as a company, we can help influence probably up to 85% of it, the labor components, the reference components, and the supply chain components specifically on the cost side. So incredible leverage. We have an incredible laboratory network that we've built for ourselves, but we, we make that, we can make all of that accessible to our clients. We also will look at clients and, and look at their health systems and 
you know, what their capability and capacity is. And, you know, we'll leverage things like core lab concepts, maybe centers of excellence. We can provide the logistics network to make those centers of excellence come together for our clients. Uh, but ultimately, those types of things can drive labor and labor efficiency for health systems. In addition to that, everybody that sells to commercial labs sells to hospital labs. And we have, um, we're the largest laboratory in the world. We buy more equipment and more lab supplies than any individual entity probably in the world. So we, we tend to have incredible leverage in this space and we can bring that leverage to bear with our clients and generate value. And then I think, as you know, you've, you've come from a hospital setting. You know, most hospitals are using multiple reference labs. For example, we have a very deep and broad menu. We can work with health systems to further evaluate opportunities to consolidate more of that, run it through a single source, or maybe shrink the number of reference labs they're using. But uh, generally, we can drive significant value in that world as well. So on the, on the efficiency side, I would offer that up. Some customers look to leverage other capabilities and skills that we have that might lead to further revenue generation. For example, uh, some are in the outreach business. We can not only lower their costs, but we can bring other services to bear, logistic services. Sometimes we can draw for clients depending on the setting and, and what is necessary. But those are examples of things that we can also do. We work with um, clients in you know automating their laboratories if that's desirable or, or necessary. We've um, built core labs for them. We've worked within the context of lab stewardship in, with some clients. Uh, we, we also have offerings relative to blood utilization and blood stewardship, if you will. So just a number of places where, as we've looked at our enterprise and thought about what we could bring to bear from our core skill set, we've brought that to bear in a hospital setting as well. And it's um, resonated. It's worked. I think um, as we come out of the pandemic, I think that we're seeing a lot more, we're seeing a lot of interest again following the pandemic. Mike, in the December issue of Laboratory Economics, you provided some insights into the work you and your team are doing with large health systems and academic medical centers. In the article, you discussed issues related to supply chain, contracts, operations, human resources, integration, just to name a few. But the lingering question I had as I completed the article was simply that given the importance of the laboratory in the day-to-day -day operations of patient care, why would a large health system or academic medical center consider working with a large commercial lab? Well, I think there's a lot of answers to that question, and I, I think every one of them can be unique, but maybe a couple things off the top of my head that I think are really relevant, especially right now. As you look at how the world's evolved post-COVID, I think there's some things that didn't exist three years ago or four years ago that feel like they've become more acute now, right? So, you know, if you just thought about healthcare workers and attracting them. And, you know, we work in a large laboratory company and we know what a challenge that is and retaining them right now. That's true in health systems right now as well, whether it's, you know, nursing, laboratorians, pick your function. It's just true in general. So phlebotomists, med techs, laboratory managers and directors, processors into the lab, to name a few, are they're in high demand and that's, can you find them is one question, but number two, can you afford them? I think there's been a pretty significant uptick in salary wages and benefits related to, you know, healthcare workers in general. 
you know, they're in high demand and, and they've been able to, um, there's been premiums attached to attracting talent into these organizations. So when we look at most hospitals, I think they would tell you that they're, since the pandemic, their cost of labor has gone up about 15%. So that really is significant and it drives a different dynamic in the health system setting. Suddenly cost reduction and access to labor have become, you know, significant issues. And I think some of the solutions that we offer can certainly help facilitate that. So that would be one answer. The second place I would go with you is, and, and you know, you know this, you, you know, you have enough insight into the industry and you've had enough people on this podcast over time that have talked about the investments that are going into laboratory and diagnostic space in general, whether we're talking about oncology or next-gen sequencing, um, investments in molecular and, and other places within laboratory. Those are expensive, really require highly sophisticated people to run that. And ultimately, can you build that yourself and can you afford to build it and run it at suboptimal scale, I think is, is definitely something that a lot of people think about and consider. And if you think about the journey towards population health, we see a lot of the large health systems that we work with are on, on that march. And, you know, whether you're seeing site of care shifts, but other tools that need to be invested in to facilitate being able to, you know, bear risk at some point in time. I think those are all reasons why partnering to access and technology and, and scale investments that are being made are certainly reasons that we hear when we see this. I also think What's interesting coming out of the pandemic, a lot of health systems that we uh, are working with right now, a lot of them have had core labs with large outreach businesses in the past, and, and they're deciding that that's no longer a business model that's sustainable for them. And we're seeing some exit um, as a result of reimbursement pressure, but also influencing that, not more important at all, but also influencing is this cost curve that I've talked about is generally impacting the profitability dynamic in those businesses. So we're seeing a lot of people thinking about their lab strategy right now, and for many, many good reasons. I think the other part of the answer to that question is when we talk to people about this, I think initially they think, oh, Mike, this is outsourcing of the laboratory core skill. You know, maybe it's a core skill. It's pretty important, right? Whether it's a core skill or not in most health systems, I think that might be debatable, but it's a very important function within a hospital setting. 70% of diagnosis are dependent on lab results, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, those are all true and still true. So why would you partner with somebody or work with somebody? Well, the first point of that is it's not an outsourcing. I think it's a partnering, right? And it's really important to draw that distinction because frankly, together, we look at lab strategy through a process. The health system would pick and choose the concepts that they want to partner with on, but it's really their lab strategy. As, you know, as we work with these customers, we find ourselves contracting and partnering to deliver some subset of the services that make up lab. And we're the partner that's going to execute that portion of the strategy, and we're going to be accountable. And I think that it's not an outsourcing. There's a pretty developed governance process that allows us to, you know, continue to interact and stay aligned and communicate regarding, you know, the changing environment and our progress against the solutions that we've jointly designed and, and we're endeavoring to deliver. 
having come late to the laboratory environment, I'm amazed and actually just so impressed by the complexity of the work that goes into delivering a laboratory result. And you highlighted that a minute ago when you talked about labor, but it's also intellectual capital. It's the, you know, the CapEx for the technology. You can buy the machines, but you need to sustain not only the machines, but you need to sustain the intellectual capital that keeps up with the machines that delivers these cutting edge technology. So given that, I'm going back to the question, um, why would a, an academic medical center or a you know, large health system think they could try to do it independently or just keep it internally, given, given the headwinds that we all face? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think a lot of folks in that setting are contemplating those very questions. Look, the dynamics in some of the large academic medical centers may be very different, right? There may be um, research and research-related revenues and, and other things that they're doing that may drive revenue for the hospital that lead them in a direction of being more ingrained in keeping that independence and, and driving the mission and defining what they want to do. But increasingly, what we're seeing is that those parties even are finding it difficult to compete for capital, difficult to compete for resources within either the health system or in their markets themselves. So I think that it really depends on the scenario that we're looking at. But what we see is consolidation in the health system industry is increasing. The number of large health systems expanding into either adjacent markets or new states or other things, they are getting significantly bigger. And while that would imply that they could leverage their own scale, delivering all the things within laboratory, whether it's logistics, scale, procurement, right? The, as you noted, the technical labor that's required, those are tough in specific markets. And when you're looking at it and working with a company that that's all they do is live, breathe, and sleep lab, I think it's helpful because we can accelerate some of those concepts or we could take some of those concepts further. So we are doing a lot of this. We see it and we see everyone, including large academic medical centers, looking at this and the synergies are significant. They're strong. You know, when we talked about that $47 billion of spend, we can influence 85% of it. You know, we're seeing 15% opportunity from a cost reduction side without sacrificing quality or patient care in any way, shape, or form. We wouldn't do that if we thought it would. So that's pretty substantial in the environment we're in. And again, the, some of the investments that are needing to be made and, and how do you scale against those investments? There's a lot of money being poured into many of those technologies. And the only way to really earn a return on it is to lever it across and then scale it actually and have it at scale. So those are reasons definitely that we're seeing some improved patient care, access to capabilities that might not otherwise be available and also driving efficiency. I like to you know highlight the importance of the intellectual capital that's required to sustain the machinery, if you will. It's not you know, anybody can buy the machine and the you know solutions and the reagents or whatever, but keeping current with the technologies and keeping current with the thinking that's going on in advanced diagnostics, in oncology and molecular medicine, neurology is really, really challenging. That leads me to my next question. So without diving into too much detail, could you walk us along the path that you and your team take as you engage health system leadership teams and pathology teams 
in delivering these collaborative solutions because it's pretty clear that these are long cycle deals. You know, that's not, you know, somebody calls on a Monday and you're closing this on a Wednesday. No. These are complex, multi-level deals that involve a lot of different parties. You know, without showing your playbook here, can you just take us in general along the path? Well, normally it starts out with, you know, a conversation around capabilities and, and what we think we could bring to bear, right? So that could be very broad reaching. Hey, here's all the things that we do with our health system partners. And that could go in a million different directions, right? Core lab, core lab concepts, supply chain, reference testing, TCPC splits, digital pathology. You know, we could go in a, a million different directions on that, right? And through that dialogue, we try to discern what might be of interest and in coming back to them in more granularity. And then at that point, we would enter into an NDA and probably ask for a bit of what I would call desktop data to analyze whatever is of interest and come back with ultimately those choice points or different scenarios that could be deployed, right? And we'll typically come back with those ideas and an estimate of what that might mean, either financially, operationally, clinically, right? To the extent we're talking about turnaround time and other things like that. But we'll come back and review those options and those choice points. And if a client is interested, then, you know, we'll go to a, a deeper level of diligence and we'll make a proposal that we're prepared to contract to. And then we'll contract that if that's desirable from a customer perspective. That process, you know, has ranged. I mean, we've done them as fast as six months. They've taken over a year to the extent. I think it's really a function of the client's process around aligning around what they want to do might dictate the time between there, right? Six months to any and anything like up to a year, maybe even slightly over a year. But it can be pretty long from that perspective. But there's multiple touch points along the way. And I think typically a health system is opening you up to a certain amount of data. And the deeper you get into it, the more people that they involve. So there's real options along the way to opt in or opt out. And I think they expand the circle as they go deeper and deeper into the process. Now, we do it under an NDA to protect the client. Obviously, we don't share that information with anyone, but um, you know those solutions are things that we prepare in confidence and we dialogue regarding that. So given that these deals end up being high trust deals, as most healthcare deals are, does the deal you end up with at the end or the relationship you end up with the, at the end frequently different than what you started out with? The starting point is certainly important, but I always expect that they're going to evolve, right? And, and frankly, you're, you know, you're building a relationship at all levels, right? At multiple levels within the health system. And I think the governance process allows us to dialogue and allows us to be, okay, we can monitor what we've put together, but other things are going to change over time where we have the opportunity to work together. So we'll evaluate those and, and decide whether to bring those into the relationship or not, right? Depending on what the health system wants to do. But a lot of times we find that incremental lab-related items or near-lab-related items come up and, you know, we evolve those into the arrangement. And because we can add value or bring something of value to our, our partners, right? So it makes sense to do that. So we definitely see that nine times out of 10. It will change over time. And, you know, you need a process to deal with that change and, and to uh, 
work with it in a fair way for both parties. Mike, a lot of these health systems now have physicians and nurses and um, clinicians and senior executive leadership positions. At your organization or within your organization, you have an enormous amount of intellectual capital available to you. How do you incorporate those physicians and scientists and geneticists into the narrative and into the overall deal structure so that people get to experience, or the physicians and the nurses and clinicians get to experience the powerful synergies that can come to fore if they work together? Sure. How do you deliver? Um, let's call it that clinical content is, is really how I take that question. I think there's maybe two elements to it. I think they're different, right, that I would describe on that. The first is just to the extent you're performing testing for that client, right? And they need access to a clinical expert to help interpret results or talk through what they're seeing, or maybe they want to talk about what they need to reflex to based or add to their order in the event of a specific result, right? That's really medical consultation around a specific result, right? We, we certainly provide that to our clients in you know, a dedicated way that is important. That's an important part of servicing hospitals for sure. In addition to that, it's like anything, right? You, you have a relationship with a health system and the larger they are, the, the more people that you, you know, have to be connected with. There's no way one person can serve, you know, that health system by themselves. So it takes an army to, to really support it. But we tend to tag executive relationship leaders, right, with, with a health system that can help direct traffic. But as part of that, we bring one of our, our medical people to manage from a relationship perspective, Quest on the other side, not test results, but Quest and what can you help me with? I want to consult with you. I want to talk to you about pick your thing, right? Might be COVID testing or what, what clinical pathways are you seeing or using or what are you doing? What new technologies are evolving in say cardiovascular? So what we like to do is tag a senior uh, medical clinical relationship person that our executive relationship people can, can, can go access and bring to the party to really deliver quest from a clinical and medical side. And as you noted, right, we have expertise and sub-expertise in many, many areas, and we're not expecting our clients to have a Rolodex of our 450 whatever pathologists um, and, and be able to access any one of them or all of them, right? It, it's, it's really about being able to put them in touch with the right people. So we typically operate that way with a single point of contact on that medical side that can bring Quest to the party and you know be relevant in the areas that they're interested in. So that's normally how it works. Yeah, and I just to kind of amplify that, I'm really impressed with the way the commercial side of Quest, you know, works very closely and collaboratively with the clinical, academic, and scientific side. It's unusual, but it's incredibly powerful. So we've talked about operations, finance, integration, but one of the areas that I'd really like you to talk about here is the cultural fit and the people fit. And what I mean by that is how does a culture and how do the people of a large commercial lab, such as the one you work with, work collaboratively with the cultures and people in these large nonprofit healthcare systems and academic medical centers. What does that look like? How does it, what's the feel of that? And what's, what's been your success there? I would tell you that 
you know, the key to the whole thing, in my view, is is that you have to be responsive, right? It's not when you're in a partnership like this, it's not an us versus them type of thing. It's a we and you're married, right? You're joined at the hip. The worst thing in the world would be in be in a long-term relationship where the other party is miserable, right? You'll both be miserable eventually. So, you know, I remind myself of that all the time, right? And being responsive and delivering what you said you're going to do, right? Being accountable, right? And being responsive when and and get into problem solving mode when there isn't things. Now, look, I think, you know, the other part of that is you gotta be consistent. You have to communicate well in in order to maintain those things, right? And be accessible. So, you know, those are some of the things that we see, but generally being committed to your partner being successful is really key. So understanding what their goals and objectives are and being continuously focused on delivering against those goals and objectives is key to the whole thing. And if if you're not doing that, they're not going to feel like you're delivering what you said you would and the wheels start to come off when that happens, right? So communicating and, and constantly ensuring that you're doing what you said you were going to do. I think that's a brilliant way of framing it, being committed to the other person's success, because then you're aligned. It's not a vendor relationship. It's a strategic relationship, which has much more meaning. I'd say much more value over the long haul. And it goes to that saying now, as we kind of wrap up, that these are stormy times for everyone working in healthcare. And we're all committed to delivering high quality, accessible, affordable care to populations and to families. And I think most importantly, individuals, because at the end of the day, it's the care of the individual that counts. What would you like us to remember from the short time we've had to visit with you today, Mike? A couple of things around Quest and Quest in particular. You know, we're committed to this business, right? We're in it for the long haul. We're investing a ton of um capital and, and intellectual property and resources into continuing to evolve our game to be much, much more relevant over time with health systems, right? So lab stewardship, population health, driving to risk-based contracting and models, uh, building the tools that are necessary to be successful in that environment and ultimately continuing to deliver our core value proposition around driving efficiency and things like that, right? So we're going to continue to evolve our game and we're positioning ourselves to be an even better partner in the future. I think from an industry perspective, as this world's evolving, I think expecting more from your laboratory partner is completely reasonable, right? I think we we are definitely trying to build um, a sustainable model that you know can address some of those longer term bigger needs and some of the more emerging some of the emerging needs that are coming out of that you know these solutions are based on a number of choice points and we're not dictating any of those i think our partners pick and choose what is of interest what management models or employment models fit best for them and you know we found that that's the best way. We're we're not selling something. We're helping you know identify the strategic path that makes the most sense. You know, and as I noted, we're investing daily in this business. We're we're going to continue to build it and build more relevant solutions and you know truly differentiate ourselves from our competitors. Well, I know your professors at St. Minerds and also at uh, Notre Dame would be very proud of you because you know when you say expect more, I know that that's what you expect of your team and. 
you give it to all of us every day. And I think that makes a, a big difference. The other thing is, another thing I like to highlight was you mentioned that we're committed to this business. We're committed for the long haul. You mentioned communication, collaboration, culture. I think that you clearly embody what we are trying to do at Quest. And I you know, wanted to thank you for that. Well, Mike, that is a great way to wrap up this podcast. I want to thank you for sharing your insights, your energy, your compassion, and your commitment with us today. But more importantly, I want to thank you, our audience, for listening and walking along this path with us. It goes without saying that these are very turbulent times in healthcare, but where there's turbulence, there's great opportunity. And I'm confident that as long as we keep patient care at the center of our work and all our decision-making, we will be successful in doing the work we are given the privilege to do every day. Well, that's it for today. If you've enjoyed the show, please press like and subscribe to Diagnostic Dialogues. Please tell your friends so you can continue to enjoy hearing from great minds talking about innovations and insights in healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Pat Aleja, and thank you again for listening.